0: If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, and to mature manhood, and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint in which it is equipped, then each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love." This is the word of the Lord. So we are in the process of uh, building a new building for our Kirkwood location, and it's, it's going great. Uh, but there, there will be a moment in time where we are looking for people to volunteer to do things like, you know, maybe install some uh, flooring, hang some drywall, and a few other things like that. So if you have, let's say, medium skill or higher and you would like to help, we would love for you to help and go ahead and mark down your card. If you, if you are a woman, you need to upgrade what you think about your skills, because I'm sure it's better than if you're a man, you need to downgrade it. And so we, but medium skills, medium skills would be great. We'd love to have your help in that. It would be awesome. We are going to uh, continue in our series, Relationship Goals, uh, because relationships are a big deal. Uh, they, they are typically at the, the center of our greatest joys, but also our greatest pain. It's, it's important to get these right. And so the first week we looked at uh, be quick to listen and slow to speak, and that there's in every interaction, there's you got your rightness and they got their rightness, but there's a third rightness, which is God's. And so in light of that, we, we need to uh, be quick to listen, uh, slow to speak. And the last week we talked about how we, we want love to be genuine. Like we don't want to be fake, and there's a lot of different ways to where that, um, we can see six different ways actually if it could be fake. And so we talked about, man, it's got to be rooted in practical service, it's got to be rooted in honor, you know, we need to treat each other uh, like family, we need to be, you know, very diligently optimistic about one another when we serve each other because we're going to wear on each other and it's not rooted in each other, but it's actually rooted in the promise of God. But it started out with the two big ones, which we need to be the church that doesn't pretend, so to be genuine, we have to be the church that doesn't like come in and be like, hey, everything's amazing, when it's not. We have to be honest. And then we have to do that second thing, which is we have to be willing to be, um, we have to abhor or have a distaste for what is evil and hold fast uh, to what is good, which translates in today. Today's really all about how our relationships can actually work to build each other up in love, just as the scripture said. And today's message, I think more than any other message, is going to underline just the critical nature of our relationships. And I hope that we think differently about them because they're very, 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 very important. And one of the things that I think is true for all of us, it's true for every human being that I've ever come across, is that we all want to be successful at something, that doesn't mean successful in the traditional sense in terms of wealth and career and those kinds of things, but you wanna be successful in something. You, you wanna be a better parent. You wanna be a better student. You wanna be more popular. You wanna have fun. You, want to, you have some preferred picture of the future. And uh, one of the things that if you're a Christ follower, the thing that you want more than anything is you wanna be like Jesus. Like that's the big idea of being a Christ follower is, is becoming like Jesus. And with that in mind, the Bible is gonna say that the single greatest factor it's not an overstatement. The single greatest factor in you becoming that person's person is your friends. It's your inner circle. Uh, the scriptures are gonna say over and over again that if you get your friends right, everything else kind of falls into place. And on the flip side, if you get this wrong, you're, you're setting yourself up for a lot of pain and failure. Um, if your friends pursue God, you'll pursue God. If your friends are apathetic about God, you'll be apathetic about God. It, it, it's that cut and dry. In fact, check out what Proverbs 12, uh, Thirteen twenty says, it says, whoever walks with the wise becomes what? Hey, so who you walk with is who you walk like. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. In other words, the Bible's saying here that you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Uh, For some of you, this verse has more explanatory power as to why you want to grow, but you're not. And the reason why you're not is because of the people that you choose to be around the most. You're not walking. You Perhaps you're not walking with among the wise. And the first year that I was walking with Christ, um, I mean, I had a powerful encounter. I mean, like, a very, very powerful encounter that, that caused me to do a total 180, and so I went from walking this way to walking this way. But what happened is I turned my direction, but I just stayed there. And for about a year, I didn't do, nothing much happened in my walk with Jesus until I surrounded myself with friends that also wanted to pursue Jesus. And then it just took off from there. So here's what I want us to do. I want everybody to do this. Once you grab a pen, uh, if you don't have a, if you're fast enough, you may be able to grab it in the chair in front of you before your neighbor does. So be quick. Um, and I want you to get out the notes section of of that orange bulletin. It's on the back. You should be taking notes anyway, by the way, right? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down the name of your five closest friends. You may want to do this in case you're not sitting by them, so you want to write down the name of your five closest friends. Here are some rules. Do not include a relative, and do not include your pet. Okay, those are those don't count, okay? So I got some music, let's go. Hey, you should be working, not laughing. <laughs> Okay, you got it? So one of the things that sociologists will tell you, and if you're a parent of a teenager, you know this stat, or you are a teenager, you know this stat because you're from your parents. Sociologists say that you are the average of your five closest friends, that you're probably not the most affluent, but you're not the least affluent. You're probably not the healthiest, but you're probably also not the least healthiest. And I'll take it into what our conversation today. You're probably not the most mature, but you're probably also not the least mature either. Who you run like is who you'll run, uh, who you run with is who you run like. This is so powerful that they discovered if your spouse gains weight, you, there's a 37% likelihood that you'll gain weight. But if a sibling gains weight, there's a 40% chance, I think, because of biology maybe. Uh, but if one of your top five friends gains weight, there's a 57% chance that you will gain weight too. You are the average of your five, which is basically what the scripture says that you, you know, you show me your friends and I will show you your future. If your friends are passionate about Jesus, you are passionate about Jesus or you will become passionate about Jesus. If your friends are casual toward sin and apathetic toward God, you will be apathetic toward God if you're not already. If your friends are kind of gossipy and bitter, you will become gossipy and bitter. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. This is one of the reasons, by the way, the Bible is so clear and emphatic that you should not be unequally yoked. It's the, it, like in your marriage, in your, the person that you choose to be the rest of your life with is that if you choose somebody who's not going where you wanna go, who's not running like you wanna run, who doesn't value what you're going to value, Uh, It's going to spell trouble for you. Now, some of you, if you've been around a while, are like, wait a minute, time out, Brian. Brian, I, I know this, like, you're always, like, you guys are, Jubilee's always talking about how we should be more inclusive. Like, you know, it's about reaching out and, and, and widening the circle. And, and it sounds like you're just talking about, we just can get rid of all the bad influence in our life. I mean, after all, wasn't Jesus a friend of sinners? And aren't we supposed to be the light of the world? That is an outstanding point. And I'm so glad you brought it up because it's going to give me an opportunity to say this, that there is a tension in the scripture that you and I, that you and I have to wrestle with. Um, and that is, the Bible does say that, like we just read, that if you walk with the wise, you'll become wise, um but it also says to go into all the world. It, it says that that bad company corrupts good character, but it also says that we should be a light in the darkest places. And so what it, the Bible isn't saying here is that you should be you know huddle up and you know you four no more. like there's not like there's not a sense to where it's both and we want to be radically inclusive because Jesus was radically inclusive but we need to be radically cohesive because there's a, a place where he's wanting to lead us. And something that helped me from an old pastor uh, several years ago that really helped me out about Jesus' relational, relational life. When you studied the relational life of Jesus, you, you saw that everyone got equal love from Jesus, but not everyone got equal access to Jesus. Everyone got equal love from Jesus, but not everyone got equal access to Jesus, in other words, in his humanity, he was friendly with everyone. He loved everyone. He 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 died for the world. After all, like I mean, he's like he was he was about everyone. He he spoke. He fed five thousand people. He did all of this, but he gave special attention to one hundred and twenty, his circle of care. He gave even more attention to the twelve disciples, which that you and I are probably more familiar with. That one. Like, he, you know, as you follow his life, he really... And then there was a group of three, Peter, James, and John, who got access to Jesus that no one else got access to. I mean, they, they had this cool moment up in a mountain where they you know, saw Elijah, Moses, and like, whoa, whatever. They got access to that. In his final hour, or in his darkest hour, I should say, when he felt so overwhelmed with agony and anxiety, he thought he was going to die, he called these three... To him, he didn't call all the twelve. He just called these three. So here's what I would say. So in this picture right here, this is a way that you could and should structure your relationships. One is that you need to have a group of three or five people that you are intimate with, and what I mean, you know, uh, that they see they see everything. You're transparent. They, if something good happens to you, they know it. If something bad happens to you, they know it. Like you just need to have that in your life. Secondly, you're going to have a circle of influence, and this may be you know 12 to 40 people. This would include people in your community group, uh, include people that you know maybe extended family and others. And then you're going to have a circle of care. Depending on how introverted or extroverted you are, will depend upon how this circle is. But then we're just to love everyone. We're we're to love everyone, but we have to understand who we're walking with and who we're sharing values with. Now, what most people do with this, most people either don't have this all together, and this is becoming a problem. Our our world is becoming more and more socially connected. We have our social network is expanding by uh, the minute. For some of you, it may have just went down, but I don't know. But anyway, uh, sorry, that was a bad joke. The, uh, but there more and more people are not finding this this level of intimacy. I read a study where they asked a question in the last 12 months, how many people have you shared an important matter with in your life? And 36% said no one. So one is that you have no squad. The other issue is that you have the wrong squad. What does the wrong squad look like? You gather people based around common interest, what you want, not common values, what you hope to be. Most people... Gather their squad around common interests, what you want, not around values, what you hope to be. What are your values? Well, a crude way of thinking is think about the end of your life and then think about what you want people to say about you. That's what you value. If you're a Christian, the thing that you value the most is you want to be like Jesus. And what we read here in the scriptures today is God designed a mechanism for how you grow in him. And that is you cannot do it without other people that this squad right here, can you go back there? Sorry. This squad right here is a group and it needs to be people uh, that value what you value. So let's take a look at this and draw from this. So in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, it says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists and shepherds and teachers. It's just, a. I mean, we could go, there's a lot here, but basically just think pastor types like me. uh, Gave these to equip the saints for the ministry. We'll come back to this verse, but let me finish it out. Can we go to the next? OK, for the building up of the body of Christ until we attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. OK, all that just says we, to be like him. Like we're gonna, we are want to grow to be like Jesus. That's the idea. Now, it, it's important just to note, just in case anyone's going down a, a wrong trail, is that it says until we attain this, meaning like we're still a work in progress. And so what's not being said here and what I'm not trying to communicate is there's like, there's like an in crowd and the out crowd. And you're like, you're thinking, oh my gosh, like everyone, you know, no one's gonna wanna pick me because I'm like on the bottom of the, the totem pole and not on top. That's not what's being said here. In fact, if you become a Christian today and let's just take Greg over here so, so I don't have to pick on myself, I'll pick on Greg. You're thinking like, oh, I could never be, I'm never, I'm not as mature as Greg. And, and, and there's, such, there's so, such a distance between his maturity and my maturity but let me just tell you of a a greater gap. There's a greater gap between you and Greg, and that's the gap between Greg and Jesus. In fact, the gap between Greg and Jesus looks a lot like the gap between you and Jesus. The the issue isn't that you attain some level of maturity, but it's that you're you're going for something in your life, which is to grow. And so if you're at point A or B or C or wherever you find yourself on your journey, if you wanna grow, that's the value which we can all grow together in. So it's about where you're headed, not where you're at. That's why you centered around what you value, not what you want. You want chocolate cake. You may value health, but you want chocolate cake. Don't gather around people who who just are going to affirm you and you eating chocolate cake. Get around people who will say, you know what? You value healthy. I love you too much. I'll eat the cake. All right, so um, (laughs) see how that works. Okay, but let's go back to this. This is important. So the the pastor types are meant to equip the saints for the work of ministry which is to grow into Christ. In other words, the primary ministers in your life are not guys like me and Greg. are not the pastors. The primary ministers in your life is your squad. The people that you're closest to. So you I mean so it's critic, so the people who are going to bring maturity in your life is not me it's your friends now i'm supposed to help you know how to do that which is what's going on today i want to help you help each other grow in christ and in that, that way in everybody in all of our locations no one gets no one has to miss out on this we can all do this together but it's so critically important that you understand that the people who minister to you the most are your friends so you either don't have people ministering to you or you have the wrong people ministering to you. My hope is after today that you have the right people ministering to you today. Which is why we, get, it's why, we, it's why we structure the church the way we structure. The way we structure the church is not built around programs, it's built around people. It's built around relationships. We just wanna group you into groups and that's what we're doing. So we, we do community groups. We wanna get you in a group because we, we want you to get around other people to where you can begin to minister to each other and grow each other up. And it doesn't matter that you don't have the same interest. You could be married, single. It doesn't matter. Different races, different ages, different likes, different what, that doesn't matter. You value the same things, you'll grow up into maturity. And that's what we wanna see. So some of us um, have the wrong squad. Some of us don't have a squad at all. Christians are really good, in my experience, uh, about being around other Christians without actually being connected to other Christians. There's reasons for that. Um, one is margin. You just don't have, you don't put the margin in your life for it. That's what that's culturally a big deal in our society. I read a book from 20 years ago, and it's even more true today. It's called Bowling Alone. And basically, the premises is, is that bowling is up over the past 20 years, up 10 percent, but bowling leagues are down 40 percent. Everybody's bowling, but everybody's bowling. There you go. Okay. Just making sure you're with me. The other reason, so one is margin. The other one is past hurt. Been there, done that. Been hurt, not doing it again. There's risk to intimacy. I'm not letting someone in anymore. I'm not gonna gonna do that. Uh, The other one is, you know, I just, my personality, I just kind of hear better. I hear God better. I I grow better in solitude. And yes, and amen to that, but there's a difference between godly solitude, and I'll unpack this Satanic isolation. The greatest, one of the greatest schemes of the enemy is to isolate you. There's this passage that Peter uh, pens, and he says that the, the, the enemy of our soul is like a lion seeking to devour people. You ever watch those nature shows where they show like a, a lion going after the herd? Anybody? Anybody, no one wants to admit that? Is this me? Okay. Um, who does the lion devour in those scenes? Not the slowest, the one who's the most isolated. So once again, if you're, if you're like, oh man, I'm, I'm, like, I'm like the least mature person here, I'm gonna get caught. No, you're not. If you, if you stay in a group, if you stay in the herd that wants to grow, you won't. You isolate, you will. How do you isolate yourself? If you ever catch yourself saying things like, well, my situation's unique. No one really understands me. Those are isolating statements that do not come from above, but they come from below. You are not alone. You, you've you been made unique, but not in the way that you're describing yourself. So, there is a risk to intimacy, but there is even a greater risk to isolation. In fact, Ephesians 4.14 points out those out. Um, it says, here are the risks. So we need to grow up into maturity so that the, we're not like children anymore. You know, we're not just running around immature. Well, what's wrong with being immature? Well, if you're immature, you're going to be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine. So you'll you, you end up believing wrong stuff if you're not in community. Or by human cunning, you'll just be subject to human manipulation, that happens. Or by craftiness and deceitful schemes, you'll become a victim of the schemes of the enemy if you're in isolation. And so he talks about how we come together by building each other up in love, and it uses this analogy of the body, which is the most common analogy in the New Testament for describing our relationship to one another. That we're like a body, meaning that we're we're all individuals, we're individual members, but we're a part of one body, and the only way to to survive is actually to be connected. Now, I'm going to give a little analogy here that's kind of disgusting, and I apologize for that. Um, I actually um and I actually called a, a a a research lab, and I asked for like like a human body part in a in a jar, like in formaldehyde or where they put that stuff in. And they wouldn't give it to me. I guess it's illegal. But anyway, so I'll have to just, I'll have to, so if you were to, if we were to leave today and you go out into the lobby and you were to see a bloody stump of a foot severed from its body, let me tell you what you wouldn't say. You know, I wonder if that's just the kind of foot that likes to be alone. (laughs) <laughs> that must be the kind of foot that does better when it's cut away from the body. Here's what would happen. By the looks of your disgusted faces when I described this, I'm sorry about this. You would scream in horror if you saw a bloody stump of a foot severed from the body. You would call, we would all be like tripping over each other and you know, like it would be a mess and you know, we'd be pulling down sirens and we'd just do any, get help, something wrong here. The Bible is communicating to you and I that you and I should be no less horrified to see a Christian living, trying to live disconnected from other Christians. It's only a matter of time before you as a body part shrivel up and die and you are susceptible to grave, grave danger. Like call the ambulance danger. So how do we avoid that? Well, it says in the next verse, it says that we need to speak the truth in love. We need to create an environment where Love and truth are the goal. Growing up into mature manhood is the goal. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, talking about Jesus, from whom the whole body joined to, held together by every joint uh, with which it is equipped, that we want to equip each other. Uh, when each part is working proper, properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We speak truth To one another. So this this is our big goal today is to speak truth and love. Now, there are a million ways to do this wrong, and there's just a couple ways to do it right. So this is this is can be challenging, and I'll try to summarize here a few. Uh, Number one is that you need to constantly be assessing your motives for how you speak to other people. Constantly assessing your motives. One that needs you need to be motivated by love for God and motivated by love for them. You need to be Motivated by love for God and his truth and what he says, fear of God, not fear of man. Need to be motivated by that. And I need to be motivated by love for the person. So I need to, to, when I have something to say to someone, I need to be assessing my motive for why I'm saying it. Which, by the way, is another good reason to be quick to listen and slow to speak. But I need to assess my motives. When I say something hard, because I could be saying something, I could, I'm just gonna give you a piece of my mind. I'm just gonna tell you why I'm telling you this. And so you can could, you could, you could speak truth out of anger. You can speak truth out of fear. Parents, you can speak truth out of fear. Parents, you can speak truth out of fear. Speaking truth out, why am I saying this? By the way, you could say something flattering and you need to assess your motives there too because you can say something flattery, flattering, but it not be out of love. It would be out of their approval when you should be saying something else. So we need to be motive constantly motive, checking our motives. I want to be motivated in how I relate and how I speak to other people. I need to make sure that my motive is based out of love and fear of God, not fear of man. And I need to be make sure that I'm doing this out of love the person we need to constantly be assessing this our motives. We don't we don't want what we say to be twisted by some other agenda, and it's so easy for that to happen. So we need to constantly be checking our our motives. First um, Corinthians. So that means that we have to be revel in God's truth. Love uh, the big chapter on love. First Corinthians thirteen says that love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the what truth. You cannot love someone if truth isn't involved. You cannot love someone if the truth isn't involved. You rejoice in the truth. Love rejoices in the truth. This is why it's so important why you're around the right people. Um, Psalm 1 is a great chapter about the picture of how we grow, which kind of syncs up with Ephesians. Uh, Psalm 1, you may have heard this before. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, just people who do bad things, wicked, sinners, scoffers, blessed. So good is, good is the man, happy is the man who doesn't walk. Now check out the progression. They, they walk, then they stand, then they sit. So here's what, what happens. You and I, we walk around sin. If you don't move, you'll find yourselves standing in their way. I'm just standing, just hanging out. Sooner or later, you'll sit. And now you're stuck. And now you're in this cycle and you're surrounded by people who do, who value things that you don't value. Because in the beginning, it seemed interesting to you. It seemed like it was affirming what you wanted to do, but it wasn't what you valued to do. And now you're stuck in it. But here's what you do. Here, here's, here's the blessed man, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates on it day and night. You wanna be people around that. And if you read on that passage, it's like a tree planted by living water, just beautiful poetry, amazing stuff. That's what we're going after. We got to be people who, who are motivated by the truth, love for God, and love for others. If you have close relationships where the truth of God is not the center, you love approval from them more than you love them. You fear man more than you fear God. Let me tell you why this is important. So, Paul the apostle in Galatians had to speak truth and love to one of his brothers. It was Peter, another apostle over the issues of prejudice and racism. And when he was speaking about this truth, he said he was defending what he was saying by saying, he says, am I now seeking human approval? He says, if I was to be seeking human approval in my relationship, he says, I could not, I would not be a servant of Christ. Here's what you forfeit. Here's what you forfeit, brothers and sisters, when you don't center your relationships around the truth. You don't have anyone ministering to you, but, 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 it's not just about you. You forfeit your ministry to other people. I don't wanna see you do that. I know the only way that you guys are gonna grow up is if you help each other grow up in love. And if you seek each other's approval or you seek the approval of someone outside this room you will not be effective minister of Christ. And in in, in, in what's happening now, like you may come after to me and say, hey, a great, great preach, brother, whatever. It goes down the drain unless you work it out in your relationships. And you say something like this, man, today Brian said something from the Bible that hit me in the heart. Will you help me do that? If you don't do that, you're not growing. And you're saying, I hear this too, like, well, Brian, I hear what you're saying, but who am I to judge? I'm not perfect either. I mean, didn't Jesus say not to judge? You know, like he said, like, hey, you know, why would you go for the speck in your brother's eye when you have a log coming out of your eye? Why would you do that? it would be hypocritical of me to judge someone else. And you would be right if, if, if you kept the log in your eye. But Jesus doesn't say, don't take the speck out of their eye until you first take the log out of your eye. Then take the speck out of their eye. In other words, take the speck out of their eye. but how you approach them is, again, you check your motives. You, you walk humbly before them. Before you start pointing so you that you don't get to become a judgmental Christian, and we all know a few of those we don't need any more of those you first see that the sin in your life is bigger than the sin in their life. That's why he says a speck and a log. He's saying, I want you to see the sin in your life as being bigger than the sin of their life. So here's an idea. Take the log out of your eye and then put the speck. So for example, if a friend of yours says or laughs at a racist joke and you think to yourself, well, that's wrong, but I've laughed at a racist joke too. I have an idea. Why don't you both not laugh at a racist joke? Being hypocritical means that you never judge. It just means that you don't have a different standard for your behavior versus theirs. You know, you come across a friend, you find out they're looking at pornography and you think to yourself, well, I look at pornography. I can't, be hypocritical for me to say something unless you repent of your lust and you go to them and you say, man, I just, this has been a struggle in my life. I see that it's a struggle in your life. I wanna turn from that. If you wanna turn, I'd love to walk with you in life and we can both put this to death together. I see someone gossiping, slandering someone else. You think, ah, that's wrong, but man, I do that too. Take the log out of your eye. See. What Jesus doesn't want you to do is just to fill your eyes with a bunch of logs so you can't, like, he wants you to take your log out and then he wants, to, he wants to use you as a minister of the gospel. He wants to use you as a minister of the gospel to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Does it mean you come down on the person? So speaking the truth isn't coming, is kicking it's not kicking somebody when they're down, it's picking them up when they fall. It's not kicking somebody um, when when they're down, but picking them up. It's coming alongside them and saying, Man, God has so much better things for you. God loves you. He has a purpose, He has a destiny over your life. You are loved by the creator of the universe. There are deeper waters He wants you to swim in. Let me show you what that is. Let me help you with that. I'll walk with you. We'll do this together. Ecclesiastes, um, you know, Psalms and Proverbs, especially Proverbs, it's kind of like God's Twitter feed. They're like these little snapshots of, of wisdom. And it says, if someone falls, woe to that person who has no one to pick him up. And that's what this passage is saying. You're gonna fall in life. You're gonna, you're gonna something's gonna happen. You need someone to speak truth and love to you, not to kick you when you're down, but to pick you up when you fall. Don't, so one, one quick thing about speaking the truth before I move on to the other part is thats is that don't be overly responsible for how they respond. A lot of us get caught up in like, we feel like we have to get them to agree with us. You don't, you're not getting them to agree with you. You're getting them to agree with God. And here's the other part. You, you don't change them. You don't have to feel responsible for changing them because that's also God's part. So we, we, but we speak it, we speak it and it's, it's scary, it's, it's fearful, but we have no other choice. And then, so how do you receive this? Well, number one, number one through 10 is all the same thing, believe the best. 1 Corinthians 13, chapter on love, love believes all things. If they, Unless you have, you know, proof otherwise that they literally want your harm. When anytime anyone says something to you that is truth, just believe the best about their intentions, and lean. which means that you lean into what they say. So they may say something and you may think, well, that's 95% wrong. Don't focus on the 95%, focus on the 5% where they're right. They're gonna stumble through it. They're gonna be nervous. If you've got good friends around you who love you and care for you, they're, they're gonna be really careful. They're, they're thinking about, they've, they've checked their motives and it may not come out right. It may even come out judgy, who knows? But don't, don't throw that back on them. I mean, that's what most of us do. It's like, oh, it's interesting you notice my speck. I'm surprised you could see that with that big fat log coming out of your eye. Like, that's what we wanna do. Like, we wanna discredit what they say with like, don't do that. Man, it took, it took a lot of courage for them to say that. And if you treat them that way, guess what? They're not gonna do it again. Love believes all things. Here's a question. When's the last time someone spoke truth to you? If it's been a while... If it's been a while, you either have people around you who love your approval more than they love you or you're a really difficult person to speak truth to. You've done something to build up a wall. I know there's hurt. I know there's pain. This isn't a sermon on forgiveness, but that may be what you have to do today. So make it easy on them. Invite them in. And, and so invite people. Say, hey, will you speak truth to me? Will you speak truth to me? we speak truth. have 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 you deputized a small group of people, not everyone in the church, a small group of people who are wanting to value what you value, going the direction you're going to say, if you ever see anything in my life that seems off from the truth, as far as you can tell, will you please speak that to me? And then remind them periodically that you want them to do this and then lean in when they do. Lean in when they do. And in that moment, it's really, really important to be quick to listen, slow to speak. So this is a big deal. Colossians 3, um, 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So we want God's word to be deep in us. How do we get God's word deep in us? By teaching and admonishing. What's that word? Oh, come on. You can do better than that. What's that word? It's in in yellow. (laughs) One another. All right, there we go. Okay. One another is a big deal. Who does the the teaching and admonishing? One another. You need teaching. You need someone to encourage you. This is what God says. And you need admonishing, which means warning. This is what God says. You're not going in the right direction. That's how it happens. And then it's all wisdom. You need to be smart about this, not just flying off the handle. Check your motives. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, thanksgiving in your heart. Um, Hebrews 10, 24 says this. And let us consider how we stir up. What's that word again? It's a big, important word. If you're gonna if you're gonna grow up into love and good works, you're gonna need one another. Not neglecting to meet together, which means that you need margin. We talked about this earlier. You need margin in your life. I hear it all the time. Ah, oh, man, I would love to be a part of a group. I'm just really busy right now. This is the, you, this is really important, and he, and we're gonna see how important it is here in a second. It says as it says st- not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, not going to name any names, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day, that means the day he comes back, drawing near. Football is over, um, which is sad for me. I don't know if it's sad for you. And uh, But if you pay attention to football, you'll notice that the plays that they call at the beginning of the game are really different from the plays they call at the end of the game. In the beginning of the game, you know, you just try, you know, you're just running plays, going, you know, just kind of going through the motions, quite methodical, run play, pass play, doesn't matter. You're just kind of taking your time. But have you ever noticed at the end of the game when the team is down, there's like a little pep in their step. It's called a two-minute offense, a hurry-up offense. And they're, they're, they're doing plays that they wouldn't do at the beginning of the game. They're taking risks. They're throwing the ball down the field. They're trying to push it down. They're, they're trying to hurry. They're trying to hurry. They're trying to hurry. Try- There's a sense of urgency in them. Brothers and sisters, the day is approaching. The time is short. There needs to be An urgency between you and I, that we would mature, that we would not be susceptible to every wind of doctrine, that we would not be susceptible to human manipulation, that we would not be susceptible to the schemes of the enemy, and the only way that's going to happen is if you and I come together and build each other up in love. There is a world waiting for us. There's no way that you're going to be an effective minister of the gospel. This is why this is so important to me, because I do want us to get out of it. I do want us to increase the circle. We do need to get out and share the gospel. But we won't be able to share the gospel if we're just tossed by every doctrine, if we get tossed by every human manipulation, if we get caught up in the schemes of the enemy. We just get isolated and off in our own little agendas. The enemy can't have us, but he can neutralize our effectiveness. The day is drawing near. This is important. There needs to be an urgency in how we minister to each other. And I don't want us to think of this as concepts. We'll stay. Why don't you stand? We're going to end with this idea. I don't want us to think concepts. We're not coming to concepts this morning. We're coming to a person. We don't chase after concepts. We chase after a person. John, one of Jesus's closest friends, he was part of the inner circle. He says, you know what? When I look at the life of Jesus and I think about all that he did and was, here's a summary of him. He was full of grace and truth. He was full of love and truth. He wasn't the balance of love and truth. Ah, you know, I was a little hard on them. I better throw some love their way. In every situation, in every conversation, in every action, he was 100% grace. He was 100% truth. And that's what you and I need to be. And we we will be as we look to him. Not to the concepts, but to the person. That's why we end our services with worship. You notice that I didn't talk about this, but in Colossians 3, we sing songs to each other. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. We minister to each other with the truth. In that hospital room with the OGs, got three of their closest friends around them. What are they doing? In their pain, they're worshiping God, speaking truth to each other. We need to be that. All of us need to be that for each other. Do you have people like that in your life? If you're in your darkest moment, would come to you and help you sing songs. That's what we want to invite you into. And there's people who want to help you. We have to look to you. Jesus, we just thank you for your life that you bore yourself for us, that you came to us.